0: Before we look to God's Word, let's pray again. Oh, Lord our God, thank You for Your Word. Thank You that You are not silent, that You have spoken to us by Your Son, the Word made flesh. As we come to this portion of it, would You send Your Holy Spirit Again, and open our minds and hearts that we may understand and believe the truths that are here presented. There is much weakness in this room. Most of it stands in the pulpit. Holy Spirit, come and do a work beyond all of our ability, whether it is in speaking or hearing. Come and give us strength that we do not have, that we may see Christ that we may trust him afresh. We ask it for his sake. Amen. Open your Bibles to Exodus 30. I've been debating all week if we should read 30 and 31, but just 30. The word of God from Exodus chapter 30. You shall make an altar on which to burn incense. You shall make it of acacia wood. A cubit shall be its length and a cubit its breadth. It shall be square and two cubits shall be its height. Its horns shall be of one piece with it. You shall overlay it with pure gold, its top and around its sides and its horns. You shall make a molding of gold around it. You shall make two golden rings for it. Under its molding on two opposite sides of it, you shall make them, and they shall be holders for poles with which to carry it. You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. And you shall put it in front of the veil that is above the ark of the testimony, and in front of the mercy seat that is above the testimony where I will meet you. And Aaron shall burn fragrant incense on it. Every morning when he dresses the lamps, he shall burn it. And when Aaron sets up the lamps at twilight, He shall burn it, a regular incense offering before the Lord throughout your generations. You shall not offer unauthorized incense on it, or a burnt offering, or a grain offering. And you shall not pour a drink offering on it. Aaron shall make atonement on its horns once a year. With the blood of the sin offering of atonement, he shall make atonement for it once in the year throughout your generations. It is most holy to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, When you take the census of the people of Israel, then each shall give a ransom for his life to the Lord when you number them, that there be no plague among them when you number them. Each one who is numbered in the census shall give this, half a shekel, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, the shekel is 20 geras, half a shekel is an offering to the Lord. Everyone who is numbered in the census from 20 years old and upward shall give the Lord's offering. The rich shall not give more, and the poor shall not give less than the half shekel, when you give the Lord's offering to make atonement for your lives. You shall take the atonement money from the people of Israel, and shall give it for the service of the tent of meeting, that it may bring the people of Israel to remembrance before the Lord, so as to make atonement for your lives. The Lord said to Moses, You shall also make a basin of bronze with its stand of bronze, For washing. You shall put it between the tent of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it, with which Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet. When they go into the tent of meeting, or when they come near the altar to minister, to burn a food offering to the Lord, they shall wash with water so that they may not die. They shall wash their hands and their feet so that they may not die. It shall be a statute forever to them even to him and to his offspring throughout their generations. The Lord said to Moses, Take the finest spices of liquid myrrh, 500 shekels, and of sweet-smelling cinnamon, half as much, that is, 250, and 250 of aromatic cane, and 500 of cassia, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and a hen of olive oil. And you shall make of these a sacred anointing oil, blended as by the perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil. With it you shall anoint the tent of meeting, and the ark of the testimony, and the table and all its utensils, and the lampstand and its utensils, and the altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, and the basin and its stand. You shall consecrate them, that they may be holy, most holy. Whatever touches them will become holy. You shall anoint Aaron and his sons, and consecrate them, that they may serve me as priests, Stacta and onica and Galbanum, sweet spices with pure frankincense, of each shall there be an equal part, and make an incense blended as by the perfumer, seasoned with salt, pure and holy. You shall beat some of it very small, and put part of it before the testimony in the tent of meeting where I shall meet with you. It shall be most holy for you, and the incense that you shall make according to its composition you shall not make for yourselves. It shall be for you, holy to the Lord. Whoever makes any like it to use as perfume shall be cut off from his people. Amen. So far the reading and hearing of God's holy and inspired word. May he add his blessing to it. How important is worship to you? Maybe a silly question to ask the, the evening crowd. Very important, so important. How important is worship to you? Is it, is it just a habit? You know, those things that you just sort of do because you do them? You don't really think about why you do them? I still can't quite stop biting my nails. I've, I've stopped mostly. There's still that habit that sticks around. Or or is worship something that you pay attention to? Is it something that's significant in your life? Maybe it's somewhere in the middle. You know, it's a habit which is good. It's a habit that you give some attention to and some thoughtfulness to. Think as well about worship and, and think, what do the elements of Christian worship say? What do they proclaim? What do they preach to us? You know, when we sing, why does God have us sing in worship? Isn't he saying something to us about how he wants our hearts? He, he, he wants our emotion. He wants us to, to sing from our hearts. What about prayer when we pray? Aren't we declaring? Isn't God sort of drawing us along to be reminded when we pray of how dependent upon Him we really are for all things. How powerless we are. We're preaching. You know, what's God saying right now? What's preaching communicate to us? That God works through foolish men? to do great things in the lives of His people. That He ministers to His people through, through His Word, read and, and proclaimed, heralded by His called ministers. These are some things that our, our worship in the New Testament proclaims. But What about Old Testament worship? You know, we've been talking about this for a long time. As we've worked our way through since about chapter, well, since very early on, it's the same with the Old Testament worship. God is proclaiming to his people significant truths in the way that he calls them to worship. It's a little different. You know, we've talked a lot about this, haven't we? We don't have the. As much blood involved in our worship services as they did back then. Some of you should chuckle. We don't have any blood involved in our worship services, okay? Similar lessons, the same God, but taught in different ways. I think as we look this, this evening, we'll see that God uses ordinary means in the life of the Israelites to communicate about himself. In the same way that he uses it in, in our lives and our worship of him to communicate to us. Think about the courtyard of the tabernacle. Think about where we are. Think about what's going on in the life of God's people at this time. We're, get, we're getting to the end of the instructions. I mean, when we, get, when we turn to chapter 31 next time, he's calling the people to come and begin the building process. This is the end. Of the instruction. You know, you, you walk in to the, to the walls that are 75 feet across and, and 150 feet long. It's a giant rectangle. You can't quite see over the curtain, but there's no top on it. It frames the courtyard of the tabernacle, and you walk through the beginning of the gates and down in the middle of the second half is the tabernacle. 45 by 15 and 15 feet high. Another rectangle in the middle. And between you and the tabernacle where you know God, God lives, He rests, He is enthroned upon the cherubim. Between you and Him is an altar of sacrifice and then a basin for washing which we just read about. The priest will enter into the first curtain of the tabernacle and, and remember what's found there. It's, it's the holy place. There's a lampstand that he keeps lit. Morning and evening, he goes in to trim the wicks. There was a reference to that here. And now we read about this altar of incense. Not an altar for, for burning sacrifices, but an altar for burning incense. An altar that communicates to the people that the prayers that are going up to God in His presence, it's, it's, it's just before the curtain that enters into the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant of God is found where where the Lord Himself sits enthroned among His people. This is their worship. This is where they come to meet with God. This is where the priests do the work to which they have been called. And as we read through chapter 30 tonight, I want us to see some themes, okay? There's a lot here, you know. Some people have offered conjecture that a lot of these paragraphs were sort of just thrown in at the end because I don't know where they go. Moses didn't know what to do with them and so he tossed them in at the end. We're not going to get into all those details. They are where they are and they're in the right place. But together, chapter 30, these, these, these paragraphs communicate some of the major themes of Old Testament worship. And we get the instructions for the golden altar for the bronze basin. Have you noticed that it's golden things on the inside and bronze things on the outside? It's the bronze altar on the outside. It's the golden altar on the inside, the altar of incense. We get the recipes for for oil and for incense. Not recipes to be followed, by the way, in case you weren't listening very, very closely when we read. Don't try to make them directions for the collecting of a census and this half-shekel tie that they ask for. These things seem so foreign to us, don't they? Isn't this just kind of strange? Now, maybe not so strange to Christians who have been reading the Old Testament most of their lives. But think about it. It's very odd. These things are, are, are weird and archaic. I mean, aren't we in the New Testament? Haven't we passed by this? Don't we do away with this and worship the way that God has told us now in the New Testament. Yes, indeed. But we still need these Old Testament passages about worship. There is something unique about Old Testament worship. Kevin DeYoung makes the point when he speaks about this passage. He says these Old Testament passages on worship orient us to remember who God really is and who we really are before him. It can be our temptation to look at chapter 30 and all the previous chapters and say, this is just so weighty. They take themselves a little too seriously, don't they? Isn't this way too much, Lord? Not at all. The Old Testament worship communicates to us how serious worship is. How, Im- how important it is for God's people in whichever age to get worship Right to approach Him properly and to come to Him the way He has prescribed. There's two big themes found in this chapter that are repeated over and over again in the whole last half of Exodus. We see two things primarily. One, that God has great concern for how He is to be worshipped. And secondly, we see that we, that is mankind, we are in great danger if we dare to approach Him. I know that doesn't sit well with New Testament believers, right? We want to talk about the grace of God and we want to talk about the mercy of God and we should and we will. But we must always remember the the majesty of God and the glory of God and the reverence with which we come before Him. Even coming in Christ, we still come before Him with reverence and awe. God has great concern for how He is to be worshipped and and we are in great danger if we dare to approach Him. All over Old Testament worship is a constant reminder that God Himself is greatly concerned with the way that His people approach Him. With how He is to be worshipped. There's one fascinating aspect of The prescriptions that he gives we don't realize it but all of these aspects of his worship some of these in chapter 30 particularly were relatively ordinary parts of daily life in ancient times you know you and me we take baths at home right we don't need a basin out in in the courtyard or in the parking lot where we can wash up before we come in to worship God. We, we take care of that at home. They didn't have indoor plumbing. You know, you and me, we put on antiperspirant and cologne, right? We clean ourselves with fresh-smelling chemicals, apparently. Right? We, we come to church smelling fresh and clean. They needed, they needed incense and oil, mixed with all these different spices and aromatic ingredients so that so they, they didn't, you know, turn people away. We'd be very much much more spaced out in here if none of us had bathed in the last, you know, 12 weeks. It's, it's incense and, and oil and the, the, the washing with water. I mean, it's their version of dry shampoo or, or, or body spray. They're just trying to kind of keep the stench down enough that they can be among the people together. Now, this was a part of their life. It wasn't something that would be so, you know, we would find it very distasteful to be so stinky. Um, It's an ordinary part of their life to have basins for washing their hands and feet, to have oils and incense with which to put on their bodies to help make everything a little bit easier. This was a normal thing. They weren't surprised when God says, make an altar for incense so that you can burn it. They're like, oh yeah, we do that. That's something we do on a regular basis. Make an oil that you can anoint these things with. Yeah, we know how to do that. We've done that before. Did you notice the reference to the perfumers when it comes to the recipes? They were people that were doing this for other purposes. It's a common, ordinary part of their life. God makes it a part of their worship. The census that they took, not entirely uncommon, probably counting males of military age, they're they're each required to give a half shekel to the upkeep of the tabernacle. These are all relatively ordinary things that God has has conscripted into his worship. And do you see the mercy and the grace that that is in this type of prescription that it gives them the ability to understand the symbolism of what he's speaking. The incense and the oil and the altars, they're foreign to us but they were familiar to them. They knew what they proclaimed. They knew what was being communicated. We've observed it over and over again that God has great concern for how he is to be worshipped. He lays out in great detail the proper way to come before him. And we see it in this chapter as we look at how the altar is to be built, how the basin is to be made. We might see it even more when we, we get to the precise measurements of the anointing oil and, and the precise combination of the, the incense to be burned in the holy place. very particular recipes that were not permitted to be duplicated or used for any other purpose you know, if, if when, when Kevin DeYoung talks about this he, he makes the joke you know you can't in so much love that tabernacle scent that you bring it home to use on your own clothes you know just going out for dinner for the night they're forbidden to be used in any other way They're only for God's worship, only for Him, only for these particular purposes. Do you see this this proclamation of Old Testament worship that God cares how He is worshipped? We are not permitted to worship God however we please. He prescribes and we obey. This is still true in the New Testament. The principles are being laid down in the Old. And the particulars get a little different in the new. Some of the things from the old fade away, but but the second commandment is abiding and and everlasting. That God dictates how He's worshipped, and here He lays it out for us. Alec Motier writes, any sort of casual assumption that whatever we do sincerely is as valid in heaven as it may be enjoyable on earth finds no endorsement in the bible I'm saying we don't come to god hoping that he'll receive whatever we feel is best to offer him we come to god offering him everything that he has asked and demanded of us he is the lord he reigns on high he is pleased to ask whatever He wishes of us and we are obligated to give Him what He requests. The, the worship of the true and living God is a weighty matter. This is why we read from Hebrews 12 where Paul writes, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship not just whatever worship. Not just you know, whatever you feel like doing. Acceptable worship. That which He has defined and prescribed. Let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. God dictates how He's worshipped. That's why we do what we do in our worship services. That's why we pray. That's why we read. It's why we sing. It's why the word is preached. It's why we observe the sacraments. We perform these with reverence and awe before our God who is a consuming fire. And it is this weightiness, this um, this levity, this gravity, excuse me, that calls us to stand in fear of the God we worship. If this is the degree to which he goes to prescribe his worship. How can we go in casually? How can we go in sort of dancing on our toes? How can we go in with a flippant attitude we can't? This weightiness of worship ought to instill in each of us a healthy fear of him. This is why we say our second point, we are in great danger if we dare to approach him. It's scattered throughout the text. All over Old Testament worship is a constant reminder that that mankind is in great danger if we dare to approach the Lord. Do you see the warnings that are peppered throughout this passage? Look at verse 9. You shall not offer unauthorized incense on it, on the altar, or a burnt offering or a grain offering, and you shall not pour a drink offering on it. So there's a prohibition. There's something you're not supposed to do with the incense. God alone dictates his worship. It's not what the priest prefers, it's what the Lord prefers. Look at verse 12. When you take the census of the people of Israel, then each shall give a ransom for his life to the Lord when you number them, that there be no plague among them when you number them. You you do it right, you do it properly, but as you come, be aware that if you make a mistake, if you don't do it exactly as I have said, there will be a plague among you. It's dangerous to approach the Lord. Look at 20. When they go into the tent of meeting, or when they come near to the altar to minister, to burn a food offering to the Lord, they shall wash with water so that they may not die. Approaching the tabernacle or the altar of sacrifice must be done after washing, or you risk your life. You wash before sacrifices, you wash before incense, you wash and clean yourself up. You, you come to God properly the way He has demanded. Look at 33. It's the same as 38. Whoever compounds any like it, whoever puts any of it on an outsider shall be cut off from his people. 38. Whoever makes any like it, speaking about the oil, to, or about the incense, to use as a perfume shall be cut off from His people. These particular recipes of the oil and the incense are to be used only for the worship of God and to use them in any other way gets you put outside the camp. Gets you put in the place of danger and darkness away from God and away from His people. I like to you know, amend a recipe once in a while, but this is dangerous, isn't it? Do you see the great risk that, that, that all who would seek to come to God are putting themselves in as they approach God is using these ordinary things to give a warning to any who would seek to approach him are you clean asks the basin the recipes preach that you must obey precisely the census inquires of you have you have you paid the proper tax To come before the Lord? Have you paid a ransom? The answer is that we are not clean. Everyone who would come to God in this way deserves to die. Everyone who would seek to come before Him on their own deserves the plague, deserves to be cast out. Motier again says, unhallowed worship brought a real threat to life. You see, Old Testament worship preaches the sinfulness of mankind before a holy God. That's what Isaiah writes in chapter 59, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you so that He does not hear. You couple that with what Paul writes in Hebrews chapter 10, that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. What can be done? Can any one of us come perfectly to God just the way that He has prescribed? Oh, of course not. Which is why, paired with all these warnings, all these statements that God has made away, none of them have any hope to approach on their own, in their own strength or their own will, but all over Old Testament worship. right? We see the glory of God proclaimed all over it, the weightiness of His worship. And all over Old Testament worship is also proclaimed the, the sinfulness of man that if we come in, in one part a little bit wrong, we're subject to death. But also, thirdly, surprise point, all over Old Testament worship is a constant reminder that God has made a way of safe approach. God beckons us to come near to him look at verse 10 Aaron shall make atonement on its horns once a year he must atone for this piece of furniture we don't have time to get into how strange that seems look at verse 12 the people must pay and if they don't they will suffer but do you see that they're paying as a ransom for his life each shall give a ransom for his life Jump down to the end of that in verse 16. You shall take the atonement money from the people and shall give it to the service of the tent of meeting that it may bring the people of Israel to remembrance before the Lord so as to make atonement for your lives. Look at 18. You shall also make a basin of bronze with its stand of bronze for washing. You shall put it between the tent of meeting and the altar and you shall put water in it with which Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet. God has made a way so that they can come and and wash as they come into His sanctuary. 26-29 through recounts the, the anointing of all of these things. It sounds a little bit weird to us, doesn't it, that they anoint all of these pieces of furniture and all of the utensils? With it you shall anoint the tent of meeting, and the ark of the testimony, and the table and its utensils, and the lampstand, and the altar of burnt offering, and the basin and its stand. You shall consecrate them, and they shall be most holy. Whatever touches them will become holy. Everything about worship in the Old Testament proclaimed the sinfulness of the people and yet at the same time proclaimed that God has made arrangements for them. That He has made a way for them to come near. You see, everything reminded them that they needed a Savior. Everything reminded them that they were lost and dead on their own, subject to being cast outside of God's people. If they, if they thought to use a perfume for their own particular personal use, No one can stand against these types of demands and prescriptions. The Old Testament worship of God says you are not okay the way you are. You can't come on your own. You need to make atonement even for the furniture you've made and ransom for your lives. That You need to consecrate everything that's being used to worship me. It's glimmers. It's it's not clear. It's not spelled out the way it is for us in the New Testament. But it all points to Jesus. It all points to Christ. All of this moves us forward in our minds to remember that God has provided a way. Yes, He ought to be worshipped as He deserves. And yes, we are sinful and cannot approach Him. But praise the Lord that He has provided a way of approach even for us. And one that is done and finished and can never be revoked. One that you don't have to get perfectly right because all that Jesus requires is that you would trust in him that he has saved you from your sin that he goes in to the presence of God and that he brings you in with him he has paid for your sin and has brought righteousness to your account God has brought you in and adopted you as sons and daughters and he is sanctifying you and making you new He makes this point about New Testament believers. He says, how do you you get clean? They washed in the basin. How do you get clean? How do you smell good? They had oil and incense. How do we get clean? How do we smell good? And he points out that incense in Scripture is a reference to prayer. And that washing is a reference to the Word. How do you get clean? How do you... Smell good, you. Seek after God through the word and prayer. Remember when in Luke 1 when Zechariah, the, the father of John the Baptist, was in the temple. He was, he was performing the incense duty and there were people outside praying. There's references in Revelation 5 and another chapter later on that talk about the bowls of incense and how they represent the prayers of the people. Incense is a picture of prayer our prayers may seem puny to us. I'm not a good prayer. I'm sure that many of y'all would agree about yourselves. We're bad at prayer. But in Christ, our prayers go up as a sweet-smelling aroma of incense to our Heavenly Father. He receives them. And, and, and this is, it, it, it helps us smell good to Him. It's not a way of justification. It's a way of the Christian life that our prayers smell good to God as we offer them through Christ. How are we washed clean? You know in Ephesians 5 when it talks about the husband loving his wife. And it talks about Christ and the church. And one of the things it says is that Jesus washes the church with the water of the word. This is how we get clean. This is how we smell good through the ordinary means of grace. These were ordinary things to them The Word and prayer are our ordinary things. These are how we come to God in Christ and how we grow in Him. We we sit under the means of grace, the prayers and the Word. This is how God cleans us up and makes us smell good. God values worship. It is very serious to Him. May He lead us and help us. We would believe the same. Amen. Father, come send Your Holy Spirit for the sake of your Son, to write the truth of your word upon our hearts that we may not sin against you. Teach us what it is to value worship and to see the gospel proclaimed in it. We thank you for the picture in this Old Testament worship. You have provided everything we need that we might come to you rightly. We praise you for our Lord Jesus Christ and we pray it all in his name.